0: I am thankful every day, writes Dave Issay, that I was lucky enough to find my calling as a young man. I was 22 years old and headed to medical school, he writes, when I fell into public broadcasting completely by accident. The moment I pressed the button on the tape recorder to begin my first interview, I had this overwhelming sense that I had found what I was going to do for the rest of my life. A few few weeks later, I withdrew from medical school, writes essay. It It was a terrifying decision, but one of the best I've ever made in my path and my fate. Wasil, I wonder if you ever had that kind of experience. You suddenly knew what you had to do in your life. What you were supposed to do with your life. A path forward suddenly came into focus regarding a relationship, a particular job. A vocation, As we say in the life of faith, you, you felt a calling. Years later, Dave Issey would go on to found StoryCorps, a, a project that began with a recording booth that he, he set up in Grand Central Station. And, and he invited people who passed by to, to take a moment and to record what was important in their heart with their struggles and their dreams and their sense of purpose. They published those interviews and books. The first became a bestseller, and this week I read one of Issei's latest books called Callings, where he notes how the following pages are filled with stories of everyday people who have found their way to do exactly what they were meant to do in their lives. These are the voices of women and men of varied age, and geographies, and backgrounds. He features, for example, the calling of a ballpark beer vendor, a fireman, an OBGYN. And summing it up, the focus of his book, he writes, for all of those people searching for a calling, consider yourself warned. This pursuit takes discipline and resilience and sacrifice and hard work. There are moments where fear will creep in and you will be unsure of what to do next. But trust your instincts. Allow yourself to be led by what truly moves you. And you will discover what you were born to do. Well, it's March 3rd, and it still feels like January 3rd, doesn't it? And with the daunting winter weather of the past few weeks, it also feels as time has slowed down. Days pass, and, and they feel the same. Yesterday I heard the weather person on the radio state, Today will be partly cloudy with a chance of snow. Tomorrow will be partly cloudy with a chance of snow. (laughs) Sunday, partly cloudy with a chance of snow. It feels like East Grand Rapids has been deposited into this snow globe, a partly cloudy with a chance of snow. But interestingly, the church calendar doesn't really take note of weather. Or even the change of seasons. It's more concerned, we might say, with a, a change of the spirit. This Wednesday we begin a church season called Lent, a period of 40 days outside of Sundays. and It's bracketed as a time to prepare ourselves spiritually for Easter morning. It's a time when we are invited to pay attention to the state of our soul To note where we might have drifted off the path. It's a time to refocus our attention on God's word and allow it to speak to us one more time. In the season of Advent, we prepared ourselves for Christmas by reflecting on biblical texts and events through the eyes of Mary. This Lent we will reflect on on biblical texts and events through the eyes of a, a man called by Two names in the New Testament. At first he is known as Simon, and later he is renamed by Jesus Peter. Stephen Bentz is a biblical scholar and award-winning author. And this week I've been reading his book, St. Peter, Flawed, Forgiven, and Faithful. And he makes the argument that Peter is one of the key figures in the history of the world. It's interesting, isn't it? Have you thought much about Peter? What do you know about Peter? This summer, our high school youth will follow in Peter's footsteps as they explore the origins of where the Christian faith began and took root. They will explore why his name is attached to one of the great cathedrals in our world, Why, in the New Testament, he is mentioned nearly 200 times, far more than all the other disciples combined. Which brings us to our passage for the morning and our our first glimpse of Peter and the lens through which we will view events leading to Easter morning. We are in the Gospel of Matthew, one of the four books that tell the story of Jesus' life, and we read... As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into a lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And they left their nets, and they followed him. Why is Peter considered one of the key figures in the history of the world? Why is he mentioned so often in the New Testament? Femme Perkins is a professor of theology at Boston College. And in her book on Peter, she observes how two major figures in the New Testament, Peter and Paul, approach faith from from very different perspectives. Paul's faith, Perkins writes, was born of this intense intellectual involvement with Jewish religious tradition. While Peter's experience, in the other way, his faith was shaped by how he experienced Jesus personally. Paul was a highly educated rabbi. Peter was in the world of Galilean peasants and and people who worked for a living. Do you know people who like to think through things before they make a decision? They jot down, for example, lists with pros and cons. They spend time online doing research. They lead with their mind, in other words. Do you know people, on the other hand, who, who lead with their heart, their gut? They, they don't make the list. They don't really do research. They, they feel their decision and typically make it in a split second. When you ask them why they did something, they usually say, well, it just felt right. Our introduction to Peter this morning in the Gospel of Matthew reveals how he leads with his heart, with his gut. Defaulting to his heart and his gut will enable Peter in the months and years to come to to assume these leadership roles for which he will be remembered forever. As Perkins notes, Peter will eventually preach the the first sermon at Pentecost, converting thousands to believe in Jesus Christ. He performs the first recorded miracle in the church, healing a crippled beggar. He is the first to receive a A Gentile convert, not a Jew, into the faith community, opening the mission to all of God's people. But there will also be moments when leading with his gut and his heart will result in grave mistakes and disappointment. But those are texts for another day. This morning we stand on the cusp of Lent, we stand on the Sea of Galilee. And Stephen Bent notes how the lake is, is 13 miles long, north to south. It's 8 miles wide, north to east. And in the Old Testament, the lake was thought of as the Sea of Camarath because it was sort of shaped like a heart. If you visited the Sea of Galilee today, which Lynn and I did many years ago, the freshwater lake would appear bucolic, and peaceful, but in the time of Jesus, it was bustling with activity. In my mind's eye, I had always imagined this text as describing a a sole boat out on the lake, as you see on our bulletin cover. But this week, I learned it was much more likely that the lake was lined with boats. Fishing was how people made a living and fed their families. And so in the time of Jesus, the lake would have been lined with boats that you see on our bulletin cover. Matthew's Gospel records how on the Sea of Galilee, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew were casting a net into the lake. I wonder, can you hear the sound of lapping waves? Can you hear the creak and the groan of boats on the water? Can you smell those unique smells of a freshwater lake? Can you hear the cry of gulls waiting for Peter and for Andrew to turn the wrong way and to make their move? Now, casting nets was no easy task. As Stephen Bence relates, the nets were were weighted with lead around their edges and they sank surrounding the fish that were then hauled into the boats. While Peter and Andrew were, were throwing these heavy nets, Jesus walks up beside them, past the other boats, past the other fishermen, and says three words that would change their lives forever. Come follow me. Remember how we said Paul made decisions with his mind while Peter made decisions with his heart and his gut. Matthew records that after Peter heard Jesus' invitation, they left their nets and they followed him. As we begin Lent this coming Wednesday... We will reflect on biblical texts and events through the eyes of Peter. And so I invite you, as we begin this season, to enter into it with the heart of Peter and to open yourselves to hear a call from a man who walks along the shoreline and says, Come follow me. Perhaps you've never heard that call. Perhaps you heard it long ago and that voice has faded with time and with the year. Sam Keen, author of Hymns to an Unknown God, phrases this Lenten journey and and this Lenten invitation with these words. He writes, And so enter each day with the expectation it may contain a message directed to you. Expect epiphanies and blessings. Expect that instruction will appear and what we call in the life of faith, a calling. The word disciple means one who follows. May we all this Lent, I pray, come to to view our lives and the events that unfold this season in Lent through Peter's eyes. And may we choose to follow in Peter's footsteps, becoming through the leading of our heart and our gut, one who follows. Because as Dave Issei put it, if we trust our instincts and allow ourselves to be led by what truly moves us, we will discover the work we were born to do. We will hear and discover our calling. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen.